You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. We do praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you are truly among us. You're among us here in the teaching and preaching of your word. You're among us here in the breaking of bread at the table. We pray that you would open our senses, our eyes, our ears, our minds, our hearts, that we might encounter the risen, reigning Lord Jesus today, that we might be drawn to him and be satisfied deeply in our souls. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Hey, good morning. So good to be with you all here on the second Sunday of Lent. We, uh, in the season that we started this in Epiphany and now in Lent, leaning towards Easter, we're looking at the story of Jesus as told in the Gospel of John. Um, And we're calling this series, Come and See, because that's the language that John uses throughout this Gospel to invite anybody who's hearing the story and anybody who's reading it to encounter Jesus and to see him and experience him and all that God wants to give us through him. So I love the invitation that he's offering us today. And so we're going to turn to John chapter 6. So if you'll um, turn there with me in your Bibles, or if you just want to listen, that's fine too. But I'm going to be reading from John chapter 6, verses 25 through 35. This is just after uh, Jesus walked on water that we heard last week, and they've arrived on the other side of the lake in Capernaum. When the crowds found Jesus on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the bread and had your full fill. But don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, the God, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So the people asked him, well, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he sent. So they asked him, well, what what miraculous signs then will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will never go hungry. And the one who believes in me will never thirst. People of God, this is the word of the Lord. When I was in high school and college, uh, for several summers, I actually a number of summers, five or six summers, I worked at a wonderful little summer camp in southeast Tennessee. And several of those summers, um, I taught to the campers an elective called survival training. Um, (laughs) Tracy, don't laugh. What are you saying? Um, So yeah, so we would teach them how to survive in the wilderness. And one of the things that we would teach the kids is what they could eat in the wilderness, you know, and I would, you know, help them forage for, you know, roots and grasses and berries. 
and uh, insects. We would teach them the different kinds of insects that they can eat. So, for example, kids, did you know that you can eat certain kinds of ants? Now, don't try this, please. Don't go home and do this without talking to your mom and dad first. But the key to eating ants um, is that, um, well, they, they, they should not be alive when you swallow them, right? Um, you either pop off their heads or you chew them before you swallow them. But that's really important. You just don't want a wriggling thing going down your throat. So this one summer, this one very enthusiastic little boy, about 10 or 11, um, he just began enthusiastically picking live ants off the ground and just popping them one by one into his mouth. I was trying to get him to slow down. He was just very excited. And one of these ants um, clamped down on his epiglottis. You know that little thing that is hanging in the back of your throat? It clamped down on that thing and just stuck, just hung there. And, you know, we tried to shake him, tried to shake, but it wouldn't come off. And then he started crying and he was wailing. And then I had to bring him to the nurse's office and she had to take some tweezers and reach way back into the back of his throat. And of course he was gagging. And then we had to call his parents and I had to have a very complicated conversation with them, trying to explain why I had allowed their child to eat live insects. So it's not often that the food you are trying to eat, tries to eat you back. (laughs) The invitation today that Jesus is giving to us is about our appetites. It's about our hunger, the way that we fill our stomachs. Jesus says here, this is the invitation for today. um, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will never grow hungry. And so Jesus, what he's doing is he's putting his finger on our hunger. Yes, our physical hungers, but he's really getting at our deeper spiritual hunger that all of us have this deep spiritual hunger inside, but that often the things that we attempt to consume to meet our appetites often end up trying to consume us back. And Jesus is offering to satisfy us fully. Here, he says, take it you will never be hungry again. So what I want to look at to you today is just two simple things. I want to look at the hunger that we carry and then the bread that satisfies. So first, let's look at this, the hunger, the hunger that gnaws. Um, John chapter six begins with the famous story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and he's on a hillside and he takes this little meal, this little lunch box that a boy has of five barley loaves and two fish. And he multiplies it miraculously into this incredible feast that not only fills everyone, but there's 12 basket fills left over. Many of you know that story. Well, the people are so amazed by this that it says in verse 15 that they want to make him king, like they're ready to crown him. And he doesn't want that. And so he slips away off by himself, gets some quiet time, and the people eventually find him. And that's where verse 25, where we read today, picks up. And you could see from the conversation that I was reading to you earlier is that the people are very preoccupied with the literal bread, the literal bread that Jesus made. And not only did they like that bread, but they want more of it. They say in verse 31, hey, remember Moses? Yeah, your little trick was okay. But remember Moses? He brought bread straight down from heaven. Can you do that for us? You know, they're asking Jesus for another sign. And Jesus warns them. He says, don't be so preoccupied with these physical appetites that you have, as important as they are. Give much more attention, he says, to finding and eating 
the bread that satisfies to eternal life, what he says in verse 27. So what Jesus is doing is he's taking the occasion of their physical hunger, their hunger for literal bread, and he's using it as an opportunity to highlight for them their spiritual hunger, their deeper desires for God. He's showing them, and really us, that our physical and literal hungers are very closely linked. And this is actually a great theme throughout Scripture that runs even from the very beginning. Um, It's our hunger, remember, it's our appetites that got the human race into the predicament that we're in in the first place. Um, Geoffrey Chaucer, the the great uh, 14th century English poet, um, wrote this, O cursed gluttony, our first distress, cause of our first confusion, first temptation, the very origin of our damnation. O cursed gluttony. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about uh, our first parents, Adam and Eve, that you remember God puts them in a garden and he puts them in a beautiful garden that is full of the most wondrous provisions. And it actually says very explicitly in chapter two that it was full of good food, like full of beautiful food that was pleasing to the eye and really tasty, right? And there was just one tree that God said, don't eat from that one tree in the middle, the tree of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if you eat from that one, you'll die. So all this other stuff, but just stay away from that one. So what happens? Well, here they are in this wonderful garden, have all these beautiful provisions, everything they ever need. Their bellies are full, full of pomegranates and peaches and bananas and whatever left, whatever else is in there. And the serpent comes along and says, but look at that tree. That one is the one you really need. And they look at it and it looks super tasty. And they decide that's what we need. So what's going on here? Well, what they're doing is they're trying to satisfy themselves apart from God himself. They thought that the the food from that tree would somehow give them something that they believed that God had withheld from them. The food would give them wisdom. It would give them life. It would give them fulfillment. It would give them all the things that God had already said he would provide for them. But their eating is an expression of their disbelief, their inner resistance to having to depend on God. Their appetites, see their appetite, their desire for what was on the tree overcame their trust in God and it overcame their sense of satisfaction in God alone. And so we see this thing throughout the scriptures, right? Um, Food and sin are often tied. So Esau um, allows his intense appetite for a bowl of stew to overcome even the call of God on his life as the firstborn. Um, We see the Israelites, after being rescued from Egypt and they're wandering in the wilderness, they immediately start complaining about what? The food. They want to go back to Egypt and eat the cucumbers and meat pots because, hey, the food of slavery is better than the hunger of liberation, at least in their warped minds, right? So what scripture shows us is that one way of understanding sin is through the lens of hunger. Um, You could understand sin this way, that sin is appetite gone wrong. Dysfunctional appetites, right? It's a dissatisfaction with God. It's looking to a created thing, something good that God has made and the good creation, and that is a wonderful thing that fulfills us. But making that thing what matters above everything else and seeking to use it for what God alone can give. Many teachers of the church um, have agreed that our physical appetites 
are directly connected with what's going on in our souls. So um, St. John of the Cross, a 16th century theologian, a monastic, said uh, this, we are constantly prone to aesthetic, intellectual, and spiritual gluttony, seeking to draw our own happiness from anything and everything other than God, though God alone is capable of meeting our deepest hungers. So what he means is that we all have this hunger in our souls. We're all suffer from spiritual malnutrition, if you will. And instead of looking to God for healing and satisfaction, we just look to anything and everything else. Now he uses the word gluttony, which we most often associate with food. And of course, food is one of our appetites that can get dysfunctional. Um, I was interested to read this. I, I was reading a little bit from a spiritual writer this week. Who, she writes a lot about the connection between spirituality and food. And this is what she wrote. Um, we think of food when we're sad. We reward ourselves with food when we're happy. We tranquilize ourselves with food when we are anxious. We often take the spot in our hearts and lives that rightfully belongs to God and give it over to food instead. And in such cases, food becomes nothing less than a substitute for God, an idol. So for some of us, it is a dysfunctional appetite when it comes to food, but really we can be gluttons for anything. Our appetites can become distorted with just about anything, right? Money, power, sex, um, exercise, a hobby, um, binge watching, phone scrolling, shopping. For me, um, technology for many years has been, has represented sort of an excessive attachment in my life. You know, you have a problem when you feel your phone buzzing in your pocket and realize that your phone isn't actually there. That's called phantom ringing. <laughs> um, that's a sign of excessive attachment. Um, but what I've realized over the years as I've struggled with that and as I've reflected on it is that it's not ever just about my phone. It's not that I'm excessively attached to my phone. It's what my phone represents. It's what my phone mediates. It's that I got to see what new emails have come. I've got to see who's trying to get in touch with me, who needs me, right? What likes I've gotten, what followers I've gained. Like what it is, it's a deep longing for affection and attention and connection that I am looking to this device to mediate what in the end only God alone can give. And so our cravings uh, reflect what's going on in our souls. It's like we're replaying Genesis 3 over and over again every day. God says, I am enough for you. And we're like, uh-huh, okay, give me that too, right? <laughs> right? Um, so, the, so, so the question is, where are you experiencing um, a dysfunctional appetite in your life right now? I, I think it's actually a great question to think about in the season of Lent. Um, is there something that has grown to a disproportionate or excessive attachment in your life? Um, here's some good questions that you could ask. What do you turn to when you're upset? Um, when you're bored? What do you, how do you deal with fear and anxiety in your life? What do you turn to for comfort and peace? When you feel empty or restless, what do you seek to use to fill the emptiness? Have you ever told yourself, if I could just get that cup of coffee or just get to the gym or just get home and pour that first glass of wine, just whatever, you know, then I'll be okay. Basically, the question is, what do you use to distract yourself from the deep emptiness in your soul? Because the truth is, my dear brothers and sisters, is that we're all users. We're all 
abusers. We're all gluttons and gorgers. And the scary thing is, is that when we're not careful, the things that we consume end up consuming us. Uh, Do you remember little Edmund from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? All he wanted was more Turkish delight. He could not contain his appetite, even if it meant it separated him from his family and even from Aslan himself. Edmund said later, anyone who tasted it would want more and more of it until, even if they were allowed to go on eating it until they killed themselves. And this is the power of what we indulge in. Adam and Eve indulged their appetites even though they knew they would die. And sometimes our appetites actually do that. I mean, so sometimes they do actually lead us to death, addiction. But often what the things we do, that they crave, they can lead us into ruin. We find ourselves more and more isolated uh, from our true king. We find our desire for God growing weaker and weaker. Uh, the, the profound irony is that the more we devour, the less we end up with that we end up emptier and hungrier and we stuff our stomachs and our souls wither away. So that's the hunger that gnaws, the deep hunger in us all that will not be satisfied. So what do we do? What do we do with this hunger? What do we do with this longing? Well, we turn to the bread that satisfies. That's, that's the invitation um, in this text, the bread that satisfies. And I just want to offer just a couple of steps, I think, for us as we seek to grapple with these hungers. The first is, I think, that we're called to admit, uh, admit your hunger. St. Augustine wrote that our souls are restless until they rest in God. Uh, he's, what he's saying is that our deepest hunger is only one that God can truly satisfy. In fact, there's a whole book in the Bible about this. It's called the book of Ecclesiastes. And the writer of Ecclesiastes goes on a long experiment to basically try every single thing that satisfies every single one of his appetites in the world. And he ends up saying, you know, God has set eternity in the souls of people. He says, there's this vast canyon in your soul that cannot be filled and sex won't fill it, money won't fill it, power won't fill it, Instagram won't fill it, the next purchase won't fill it. All of our craving for these things, he says, is just a crying out to fill the great vacuum in our souls that only God can fill. And so the first thing I think that we just need to do is just admit that we're all in this predicament, that we all turn to something other than God to fill the vacuum in our souls. And when you begin to see that and you can own it, you can begin to admit and start to to work on it. Um, I can say, and this is what I've had to do with my own mentors and spiritual directors over the years, is... I had to say, okay, my fixation with technology is, I admit, is often just a way that I keep God at bay and that I'm trying to use it to satisfy my need for attention and connection and affection that I know in the end that only God can fully meet. And by admitting that, it releases me from its power. See that? And this is something I think that 12-step programs get really, really right. Um, One of the first steps in any 12-step program when you're dealing with an addiction is this one. We admit that we are powerless over X, food, alcohol, drugs, sex. We admit that we are powerless over this addiction, that our lives have become unmanageable, and that only one greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. It is very courageous to make that kind of admission. And I think that's the first step, is that can you admit it, that we're users, that we all have our fix, that we all have things that we turn to to keep God at bay, And that's the first thing, to acknowledge our deep hunger for God alone. 
Um, the second thing I think that we can do is retrain our appetites. We're not actually powerless in the face of our appetites. We can do something about it. We can actually put practices in place to retrain our, our hungers. Um, this is Lent, and you may not be familiar with Lent, but Lent is traditionally the time that the church has seen as a season of um, repentance and even spiritual training, um, like retraining your, your soul. Um, and the best known practice of Lent is fasting. Um, what is fasting? Fasting is basically just a voluntary self-denial of something, um, traditionally food, for a very specific time. But the reason is, is to intentionally increase your hunger for God. You know, we often don't realize how controlled we are by our appetites until something is withheld from us. Um, I was, I mean, this is how ridiculous I am and how controlled I am by my appetites. I was in a meeting a few weeks ago and it was like a 11 a.m. to 1 meeting, 1 p.m. meeting. And I just assumed that lunch would be served and so I didn't bring lunch. And 12 o'clock came and nobody brought in any lunch. And then it was 12.05 and it was 12.10 and 12.15. And by 12.20, I promise you, I was raging. Like, I was like sitting there, like going like this, but all I could think about, where's the food, you know? And then I finally started to panic by 12.28, you know, that really lunch is not coming. Uh, and I, I didn't hear anything that was said. <laughs> and then finally, 12.30, this lady brings in this tray of sandwiches, and it was like my whole world reordered again, <laughs> right? And so we often don't realize how controlled we are by our appetites until things are withheld from us. And what fasting does, it actually intentionally creates that emptiness. It intentionally, purposely creates an emptiness to, for you to realize how dependent you are on so many things apart from God for comfort, stability, wholeness. Um, it allows you to see how controlled you are, how we often use these things um, to keep God at bay. And fasting, it lets the real hunger be known, exposed, and then allows us to re-aim our desires at God to remind ourselves that God alone is our true source of nourishment and life. So fasting is typically done with food, um, but these days we are addicted to so many things that there's lots of options for fasting. Um, you could fast from technology. You could fast from uh, a habit um, like Netflix or something that like takes up an inordinate amount of your time and that you turn to instead of turning to self-reflection. There's so many different things um, that you could fast with that I just want to invite you to experiment with this practice in the coming weeks how might you stop filling your literal or metaphorical stomach and instead allow the bread of life to satisfy your soul? And this is not about self-denial. It's about desire. You know, it was an old tradition that the, uh, the, the bride and groom would fast from seeing each other on the wedding day. And the reason was to intensify their longing. So when that moment, when the doors are open, and I've seen this so many times standing up there as the officiant, that when that door opens and they first see each other, the joy explodes because it has been made intensified by the temporary withdrawal. And so fasting earns you no points with God. It is ultimately a discipline that is about increasing our joy and delight in God himself, setting our hearts on our true spiritual food. So we admit our hunger, we retrain our appetite, and finally we feast on the bread of life. Earlier, we talked about our first parents, Adam and Eve, and how they succumbed to their physical appetites. Uh, but the Bible teaches that what Adam lost for us, Jesus, our second Adam, gained it all back. So if you just think about Jesus, it's just remarkable to consider all the ways that Jesus reversed the pattern 
that humans established in Genesis 3. Jesus begins his ministry fasting, and he is tempted by that same serpent in the wilderness with many of the same temptations that Adam and Eve and all of us face. He was tempted to turn stones into bread, to put his appetites before God's promise of provision. He was tempted to power, to self-sufficiency. He was tempted to trust himself in his own independence rather than God's. And in every case, he said, no, he did not give in to his appetites. He put God's glory and God's sufficiency first. He refused to take control of his life. He chose the way of sacrifice instead of self-gratification. He depended again and again on his father for fulfillment and security and joy. And at the end of the story, he goes into an upper room and he gathers around a table like this with his friends. And he picks up the bread, as just we'll do in just a moment. And he says, do you remember what he says, kids? He says, this is my body. And then he picks up the wine and he says, this is my blood. He's, it's almost like he's saying, you know that all those many years ago when the world was lost through a meal? He's saying, now I am gonna win the world back through this one. And he gets up from the table and he pushes in his chair and he walks out into the dark night and he dies. And he dies for our appetites and he dies for our disordered hungers and he dies for our rebellion and he dies to forgive us and to save us and to make us full. And so this is the invitation of Jesus Christ to you today. He's saying to you, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry and he who believes in me will never thirst. This is what Jesus is offering to you today. And I, and I literally mean that Jesus is present here at the table offering this to you. That he's offering uh, to satisfy the deepest longings of your soul and to still the profound hunger of your hearts for him to be the bread of life so that you will never be hungry so it's not just enough to recognize your distorted appetites. The final step is to turn toward the one who satisfies your longings and stills the hunger. It's not that God doesn't want us to be gluttons. Uh, he wants us to feast on the right food, to be gluttons for grace, to feast on his kindness to us, to know that our deepest desires are only fully met in him and that we have been given truly everything that we ever need in the person and the resurrection of Jesus. And, and here's what happens, um, and I hope that some of you are discovering this, that as you begin to find yourself more and more satisfied in God's love for you in Christ, as you turn away from your disordered appetites and you find your satisfaction every day met in the person of Jesus Christ, what you find is that you can enjoy everything else in a healthier way. Um, there's a joke in China that, Everybody has two stomachs, one for rice and one for everything else. And the stomach for everything else might be full, but unless you've had rice, you still feel empty. And I'm pretty sure that if Jesus were incarnated in China and not the Middle East, he would have said, I am the rice of life because he fills that stomach so full. He satisfies our spiritual hunger so fully, so completely that all the other appetites can finally come into right proportion. So would you see and hear the Lord Jesus at the table today inviting you to come? Come, he says. Anyone who comes to me will never hunger. As you come, uh, maybe you would use this prayer 
from Charles Wesley as I close. Me with that restless thirst inspire, that sacred infinite desire, and feast my hungry heart. Less than yourself cannot suffice, my soul for all your fullness cries, for all you have, for all you are. Let's pray. just in preparation for coming to the table, you would just think about those questions I asked earlier. What do you use to distract yourself from your hunger within? How do you deal with fear, anxiety? What do you turn to in boredom? What do you look to for comfort and peace and assurance? Would you maybe just think of one thing in your life, an appetite that is disordered? you maybe in the quiet of this moment just admit to God that what you're really hungering for is him and then would you just maybe use the prayer that came from this very text and just say Lord Jesus give me this bread from now on give me this bread the bread that deeply satisfies We praise you, O God, that though we from the very beginning have allowed our appetites to overcome our trust in you, that you have come to us in the person of Jesus to be the living bread for us. How beautiful is this gospel. And we pray that as we come to the table now, that we would renounce our appetites that often lead us into sin and lead to our own ruin, and that we would come hungering for you longing to have our souls filled to the brim. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.